Yes, I remember everything. I know who I am. I am the doctor. I am the doctor. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's thick, thick, victorious. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't do that. We are carrying on on our trip through the sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord as played by Paul McGann. I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm Rebecca Chapman. You join us once more on our journey through the eighth Doctor's exploits. Whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audio, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else we can lay our eyes, ears, and hands upon. Indeed we are. And today we've got a Pieces of Eighth first. Oh? Indeed. Yes, we've actually got our first two-part episode. But I thought we did that at the end of every season. Yeah, but this is in two distinct parts. It's slightly different Um, from... Okay. It's not like one person over two episodes. It's lots of content over two episodes. Ah, okay. Well, does that mean that we get a cliffhanger or a crash zooming in on our faces like we got in season 23 with Colin Baker? Hmm, I'm afraid not. That's a great idea. If only we were a video podcast. Although I'm doing one for you right now, if you can see. Look, there. (laughs) Crash zoom. Anyway, yes, quite. We've also got another first because we've got a co-host to join us this week. And back joining us today for another chat, it's your friend and mine, the man who knows the Eighth Doctor probably just as well as us. It's Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine. Hello, Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine. Hello, Matt Michael from Doctor Who magazine. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Becky. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Very well indeed, thanks. It's lovely to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm really pleased to be back. I hope you enjoyed our exclusive Paul McGann interview, which I'm still so annoyed about because I wasn't there. Definitely. Very much um, looking forward to what's coming up in the future as well. Yes, but we can't tell our lovely listeners that just yet. Just yet. So we're going to chat a little bit of Time Lord Victorious today. Do you remember where you were when you first heard about TLV and when it was announced? I I think it, it was probably just reading it on twitter because i it was was it 2020 it was year one of lockdown i think i've lost all sense of time um over the course of the last couple of years but um it was initially quite hard to sort of even understand what time lord victorious was because there were so many different aspects to it so there's going to be an escape room and there were going to be comic strips and it's going to be multi-doctors and at one point i i thought does this mean that big finish have got chris eccleston surely not surely that's too much to hope for and it's like no they haven't got chris eccleston and how how wrong i was a year later but uh... and it wasn't even a year really it was just a few months later that we found out chris was coming to big finish yeah yeah. it's because it's quite a an interesting project the fact that it was across all these bbc licensees um but yeah it's quite a it's quite epic in scale and I think that no matter how many timelines were produced because I think there was the there were two released one was a sort of like an order of releases and it went in a, like a yeah. zaggy 
pattern. And then there was a straightforward timeline that went from new from first to listen to to the last to listen to. And it was yeah. very confusing with both as to work out just what goes where and when. I mean, I'm normally good with charts and graphs, but I found it really tough to follow. But I suppose that's part of the fun of it, being a Doctor Who fan with things being wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. No, absolutely. And I, I think that's um, part of the fun is that it's um, almost like one of those um, sort of Dungeons and Dragons books that I used to read in the 80s where you sort of turn to page 26 and you've got all sorts of possible routes through to the to the different conclusion and lots of opportunities to maybe revisit it from a different perspective. So I think it's a, a great idea. Yeah. Yes. Ah, I play Dungeons and Dragons every week. Uh Sometimes twice a week, depending on availability. But yeah, no, D and D, fantastic. Yes, great. Yes, it's a great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your current character, incidentally? Ah, uh, so I because I keep dying because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> the problem I have is that I keep rolling really bad on my intelligence stats. So my characters are always really stupid and are the ones that go, "I'm going to push the big red button." So I just keep dying. Um, <laughs> but I, we, well, we've all taken turns at, D, at DMing now. So I'm playing a changeling. Oh, hang on a minute. I have to load up my app and I'll tell you exactly what I'm playing. Mm. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm playing a changeling paladin, which I've taken the Oathbreaker paladin thing, which is great. Right. I'm playing a rogue multi-class fighter teethling. I'm playing a druid Kalashtar. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm playing a lotus and halfling, who's a rogue bard multi-class. Yep. And I'm playing a variant human warlock, who is essentially Tommy Oliver from the Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it just be easy if you were half human on your mother's side? It would be so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> and also very complex, given the fact that there were so many doctors to bring in and different strands and to try and sort of keep a, a central cohesive story to it as well. So you can follow things from the, obviously we, we really begin with the eighth doctor and work our way through to the end with the 10th doctor. Yeah. And, and I think, um, for, for me, being an Eighth Doctor fan, um, particularly, it was brilliant because my contention would be very much the Eighth Doctor's story, but that's just because I'm coming at it from the Eighth Doctor angle, I think. Uh, it is. I um, I re-listened to it recently and I forgot that the Tenth Doctor actually existed <laughs> in and only listened to the Eighth Doctor because, uh, yes, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so yeah, they're, he's fantastic. I love him. Well, you're preaching to the converted with this podcast, so we, of course, totally concur. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose um, it all kicks off with the A side of Echoes of Extinction by yep. Alfie Shaw, and the trailer for that sounds like this. From Big Finish Productions. What do you think? A transmat capsule. Looks more like a depressed cupboard. Doctor Who, Time Lord Victorious. Echoes of Extinction. Are you lost, sir? Perpetually. That's usually by design. Edwards. Welcome home, sir. 
Did you enjoy your massacre? No. They all died too quickly. Find me someone else to kill. Of course, sir. This place should have a security system. Let's see if I can get a look at what we're dealing with. Well, that's odd. I wonder. I'm not sure I like how all the options seem to end in death. That's how life works, sir. You're a coward as a killer, and when you die up there, all alone, no one will care. Thank you for killing them for me. Oh, I'd kill everyone for you. If this thing just wiped out your entire species, it needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped. Ah, hello. Don't move. Oh, brilliant. Barely arrived and someone's already got a gun in the face. What happened here? Impressive, isn't it? Impressive? You find a world littered with skeletons, you think it's impressive, it's obscene? Oriv went silent about a week ago. Well, this is Oriv. A long dead world? No. Wait, a week ago? What do you mean a week ago? Oriv's been dead for millennia. No. A week? No, definitely millennia. Or a week. Shoot it! <laughs> Captain, it's about this time I start running. Big finish. We love stories. And, Becca, you're going to tell us about the story you're going to give us the wee synopsis. But, of course, the Big Finish website tells us that Echoes of Extinction is by Alfie Shaw and... Trapped, a haunted monster waits to consume new victims. It needs help. It needs a doctor. Unfortunately, it also needs to kill whoever it meets. Thrust into immediate danger and on the back foot, it will take all of the Doctor's ingenuity to triumph. Two interlinked adventures, two Doctors, one foe. It's rather brilliant. That's such a good tease. <laughs> I do quite like that line about two interlinked adventures, two Doctors, one foe. And considering we've got 29 minutes, there's a hell of a lot of story packed in there. Did you find that as well? Do you know what I did? I, I had to, This is one where I genuinely had to listen to it twice um to really sort of understand what was going on in the story because i think it does pack in definitely a sort of 50 minute hour worth of plot um into half a record's runtime so i think you listen to the other time lord victorious plays that we're going to talk about and they unfold a much more I think, usual pace than this one unfolds at. So you, you really have to be listening hard, I think, to to follow it. Yeah, I'd agree with that, because I think there's not one wasted line in there because there's so much no. going on. But we find out what Jasmine's backstory is and the network. And it is, it's a very, very dense piece of work with so much just brought into such a little time. And I think I actually enjoy that, the fact that it's sort of like, okay, I got most of that first time around. And then it gives you that feeling sort of to listen to the tenant side of it and then go back and listen again and then just ah and then it all makes sense because there's just so yeah. much tight plotting in there i agree and i think one of the things that i really enjoy about it is it's the first of the it's the sort of start of the story from the eighth doctor's perspective um, and it's the end of the story, so it's the last, I guess, Time Lord Victoria's play. If you're if you're taking this down the Tenth Doctor route, um, so I think that's a really clever 
fun idea but i think it really brings to me to life the sort of central relationship in all flesh is grass as well which i think is the younger carefree eighth doctor he's off on an adventure to find the 700 wonders of the universe he's clearly pre-time war although probably a bit closer to the time war than um we're used to given that the sort of covers are all mcgann in his knight of the doctor or a variation on his knight of the doctor costume so he's he, he's sort of coming at it from that innocent pre-war angle and the tenth doctor is obviously coming at it from a place where he's lost so much through the course of the time war and then subsequently because of the daleks again he's lost rose he's lost donna he's um he, he, he's really in a dark place when he comes into Time Lord Victorious. I mean, it's named after where his, his sort of state of mind at the end of the Waters of Mars. So I think having those two characters or the same character approaching the plot from two such different points in their lifetime is really, really fun for me. Um, and I think it, it's really the heart of the whole story. Absolutely agreed. Becca, what's your thoughts on it? Yes, uh... Oh, it's so good. Uh, you know, I really enjoy it. I really like how the Eighth Doctor's really kind of like, just like free loving and just like, ah, someone needs help. I'm here to save you, strange person. And it's very Doctor. It's it's very Doctor Who. It's very Eighth Doctor, but it's very early Eighth Doctor. And that's very obvious. Whereas it kind of feels like, the tenth Doctor is very much at kind of like the end of his tether, and he's just like, "Oh well, I've got nothing left." Uh, it's great; it's a great juxtaposition, but yeah, it's different. Yeah, and what a great cast as well! I just love—I um, think they said Bliss. That's the name of her character in Two Pints. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought um, fantastic performance from Louise from Two Ooh. Pints. I didn't realise that it had her in it. I love... Yeah, she's... Um, or Louise, as she is in Two Pints, and Bliss in Love and Monsters. And, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm like, getting, you I'm, know I'm, what I mean. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> yes, that she's um, she's playing that lovely princessy person. So. But isn't it just... It just I think it's a fab story. And it's... It, did you need a couple of lessons to fully get the story, particularly the Eighth Doctor's side? I did. Uh, again, I forgot that the 10th Doctor existed on this re-listen for this episode. <laughs> so really sorry, Tenant, if you happen to be listening, which, you know, but yeah, so I'm sorry. Um, yes, well, I, uh, like, I understood it when I listened to it the first time, but then when I listened to it the, the second time, because you told me that you would needed two goes, so I was like, well, I'll give it a second listen in case I've missed something really obvious. Um, <laughs> So I listened to it a second time and was like, oh, oh, ah, and it's so obvious. Yeah. So, so obvious. So we've had a quick chat about it. We'll come back to the cast in a wee minute, but let's hear from the writer, Alfie Shaw. Hello, my name is Alfie Shaw and I'm the writer of Echoes of Extinction. Alfie, welcome to Pieces of Eight. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. May I ask as a... As a Doctor Who fan of more recent years, when did you first become aware of the Eighth Doctor? Oh, blimey. Um, quite early on, actually, because I'm a, I'm a child of the 90s. I actually grew up on DVDs, VHSs and Big Finish. In fact, my third ever bit of Doctor Who 
that I owned was the Fearmonger, which is officially a seventh Doctor story. So I quite early on, I um, because you know we're going through the early Paul McGann's, they were just sort of part of growing up. So it was sort of like these are the TV Doctors and there's the X Doctor who does these audios. And what was the first one I ever listened to? Oh God, it's I have a distinct memory of listening to Invaders from Mars, but I think I had done all of the previous ones as well. I can't quite remember, but if it, he's always been, they've all always just sort of been there. It's sort of a strange, like everyone goes, who's your doctor? I'm like, well, I don't, haven't really got one because they just sort of grew up sort of going, well, there's Remembrance of the Daleks, there's Four to Doomsday, you know, there's Genesis. It's just, just this big sort of mishmash. So he's always been part of the, the Doctor Who furniture for me. So it must have been quite exciting when you were asked to be involved and to write something for him, given that he's a doctor you, well, as we said with all of them, but grew up with, but especially he was the current doctor when you got into the series. Yes, I mean, the, the, the sort of uh, the, the flip side of it being the sort of everyone was there, I didn't really feel like he was the sort of current doctor, like, because it was off air, it was this sort of strange thing, but it was, it was very exciting. Um, I'd always wanted to do something for uh, the ex-doctor, and so the chance not just to write this one, but to produce the the whole sort of Tunnel of Victoria strand, which was the Eighth Doctor strand from the off, was very exciting. I mean, it was quite interesting because it was originally going to be uh, fun bits of tidbit toy. It was originally going to be early TV movie Eighth Doctor, and then we had to, for various reasons, swap it to slightly before the Time War. I appreciate this is audio, but I'm doing lovely hand movements for this. <laughs> but that was also really exciting as well because you're sort of you're getting the Doctor as he's trying to, he's, you know, he's about to do very unspeakable doctory things, but he's not quite there yet. So you're just sort of seeing that kind of, the universe is getting darker, but he's still quite bright and happy, which is why in um, Echoes and also the other TLV things, you know, he's, sort of, he's off trying to see the wonders of the universe. He's still doing happy-go-lucky, Eighth Doctor being charming before, oh no, everything's on fire and it's on fire backwards and across centuries and ah! But yeah, no, really exciting. How it got commissioned was I had just done a torch with the James Goss, which he, which he was uh, seemed very happy with. So when Nick said, you should write one, Goss went, yes, I agree, that went well. So that was how that kind of came about. And then I wanted to um, do... Uh, you know, I wanted the, the trilogy to be an, an all-female writing team, which we got. So it kind of echoes was sort of the obvious one that was, the vinyl project was the obvious one that remained, really. And yes, and then it kind of... It's a very strange one because it was always designed to be a side, like a little side thing. And then because of the delays, it sort of ended up being the final you know, bar time fracture, the, the final big thing of... I'm Lord Victorious and some people were going ah this is the finale like no no really it's just this it was just this little side thing it was always just this little side thing uh, and then when of course we got David on board it became the only bit of starring David Tennant media and they're going look it's really just this side thing please it's not the finale don't think of it like that nah the fact that technically your story was chronologically the first in the McGann run although it was the last released in terms of big finish purposes Yes, yes, e yes. Uh, no, Echoes was a very interesting production in so many ways. Um, but yes, the brief was always Eighth Doctor on one side. It didn't necessarily have to be a prequel from the off. It sort of ended up that way, just because it kind of makes sense because Mutually Assured Destruction is the epilogue. So then really that's the kind of only place for it to go. So it was always going to be slightly tangentially connected to the, the main story. 
so that was fun in a way because we didn't have to do masses of, of tie-in. There was in earlier versions of the story that we pitched, and we did pitch quite a few through the BBC. One of them was the involved the Katuru. I, I haven't said that name in so long. I think that's right, Katuru. It's big finish. I'm currently working on my brain is in 2026 for stories for that. <laughs> but it was originally it was, it was one version of that involved that, and that was more kind of heavily tied in. Um, and then that fell through. So we ended up having, going on this sort of alien Prometheus style story in the end. So the links are quite tangential. But one of the other things, because it was a, a vinyl story, it had to really specifically be half an hour long. Now, some of the short trips dramas that I've done, you know, they were the same length scripts, but they ran for 32, 35 minutes, whatever that may be. Whereas this one, it had to, absolutely, because it's vinyl, had to be half an hour. So we cut a lot of the references to the greater arc. So the the when he arrives and goes, sorry, is this the Braxitel collection? No. Okay, bye. There was a few more. That was a sort of rule of three joke, and it kind of just built up through doing other kind of ones of the universe, uh, which we had to pack the cut. We sort of kept the Braxitel one because why not it's a fun nod so yeah there were more little little ties throughout but yes conversely because i know we're only really talking about the eighth doctor side but the half an hour limitation is why on the tenth doctor side they don't actually talk in the original script they did have a conversation and due to the way we recorded the whole thing paul was the first to record before all of the guest cast, and then uh, eventually, then before David, so we had Paul's line. So actually, there was there was a whole conversation there that we had to cut. So the Doctor, the Tenth Doctor, hanging up on the Eighth Doctor, is him just going, "Well, we can't use any more of that," and then he goes into his big speech. So yes, the limitations of the the format did limit what we could do with just tying into the overall thing, but also having the two Doctors interact. I think it must be quite a challenge knowing you've got half an hour to work with but at the same time it must be quite an exciting one knowing okay got to tell the whole story in half an hour and make sure that it works and of course have as you said have that wee link for the the other side yes it's it's quite a task uh i'm, I'm, I'm aware that the eighth doctor side packs a lot in uh, <laughs> in half an hour and it does just rattle through but no it's fun to do it's an interesting challenge going at it again i'd probably try and do something a bit simpler but the brief was very specific on it had to be two separate things because we did at one point just pitch a fairly traditional eighth doctor other doctor thing for the vinyl um and the bbc cut that down because the the time loving tourist multi-doctor main event had to be the book so we could have them doing a little chat as i alluded to earlier but we couldn't have them full-on teaming up so yes the the difficulty is trying to i wanted to do something fairly moderately complicated because the eighth doctor has that kind of new series infusion of you know complicated things and also stories that have grown up from the wilderness years so you know the rob shearman really dark stuff it's it's not like rob shearman's really dark stuff i'm aware that's a hell of a comparison but you know you can do more interesting ideas with the eighth doctor and then the other side conversely was meant to be for a pre-mcgann doctor there's another a little spoiler for you but due to covid we couldn't couldn't get that doctor and then luckily we managed to get david it was a simple. It was sort of meant to be a simpler story for a sort of invoking a, an earlier time of a Doctor that had these kind of simpler twenty-five minute uh, episodes. But then, oh madness! But yeah, so the challenge is fun, and I was told, you know, you can get in a, a lot in half an hour. Turns out you can. But yes, trying to get it all to tie together was a real challenge, and it does all make sense. But it does, God, it goes at a clip. Yes, actually, as I 
as I mentioned earlier, it, uh, due to COVID, the original plan wasn't uh, the tenth Doctor. It was earlier. It was a pre-McGann Doctor. The idea would be you'd have the early early story with the later Doctor, and then the later story with the earlier Doctor, and that was going to kind of going to play into the sort of wibbly wobbly timey wiminess of it. And that was to really reinforce the sort of play in any order motif that the BBC were incredibly keen on and really pushed for. And then obviously when we got David, it does it does sort of become quite a linear listening experience. Um, so while you can play it in either order and it does technically still work, I think it is advised, if you haven't listened to it already, start with eight. It'll make a lot more sense. I think you've got some great characters there because there's some Jasmine a hell of a lot going on there and then the network and of course the wonderful Edwards as well really memorable creations uh, Edwards I my, uh, that was named after my mate Mark who I promised I'd get into a, a Doctor Who and I said can I make you an alcoholic butler and he went yes please so I tried to get it in obviously because it's Doctor Who you can't really show him being an alcoholic robot but he get the thing comes through yes he also has my favourite line in the whole thing when the Doctor goes I don't like how the options end in death and he goes that's how life works sir or something like that I can't quite remember my favourite line sorry terrible memory but <laughs> I was like I was very happy with Edwards yeah. uh, I'd, I'd love to bring Edwards back but I feel there's no real room for him but yes and you know Jasmine you sort of want to do a, you want some kind of inver inversion of expectations from the top and so it gives that kind of nice air of mystery where you you know she's definitely she's definitely the victim but then has to play along the doctor doesn't really know that so that kind of helps push the first third of the story and yeah the network i think the network just kind of came about because of the through the development process that that, that was the character that kind of was like well how this is how this works this is how this works qed this is how this villain works and i really liked the idea of being able to sort of develop a super weapon that would spy on it and the idea was initially it wouldn't have a name and in fact it never it's uh it's called the network project but i don't think it's actually called the network in the episode itself that was my attempt to mirror the uh, xenomorph in a small way which i don't think is actually called the xenomorph in alien as, uh, at all and it's, it's just called that outside the facts so yes there's it's the network project but i don't think it's specifically called the network bar in the credits but yes and it's you know the casting on it was fabulous scott did a really great job and has these brilliant people bringing it all to life uh, which i was very grateful for he did an absolutely stellar job of a who's who of who cast burton gorman absolutely unrecognizable catherine drysdale is brilliant as jasmine i've always been a big fan of her since two pints days and get a fantastic turn as well paul clayton just has that voice mm. and just you love him you just got to love that voice yeah. Yes, and the way he does the uh, please uh, shut up and kill me as that uh, you've done that really well. beautifully done, sir. Beautifully done. It must have been quite exciting when the vinyl was finally issued and you can go, I've got my work on a vinyl. Where do you keep your copy? Oh, well, oh, again, uh, as, uh, <laughs> Echoes of Extinction, the release that keeps on giving. I got an initial copy and it, it was a test copy and it had some playback issues, so we had to get those fixed. So I then ended up getting a correction copy to check that it'll work and that one did work and then i got my comp so i've actually got three copies of it two of which are currently framed on my wall next to each other so the whole cover you know you, the, the wonderful work by lee binding can be seen and the third one is just on my shelf uh, waiting for a moment to shine really it's a strange thing i love having a, a physical release a lot of the stuff i work on is digital only 
which is good for a, a you know multitude of other reasons but it is nice when you've made something to have a physical version of it and especially a, a vinyl is such a great size for the artwork i wish more stuff was even not even just vinyl just covers were printed that size for people They're, it's a really great thing to put on the wall but yeah it was it was really fun and the fact we there was an option for the vinyl with the colors to be split we were given a choice of all of those like yes perfect that 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 fits in beautiful yeah i mean I, it's great to hold i mean I, the vinyl player i've got is terrible it's the, the most basic budget unit you could get but still just be able to play it and listen to it i was like ah this is this is glorious but i the audio is quality is terrible i'm just going to put it back on my phone but it was fun to just yeah it's always, it's always great holding the physical thing yeah i'm the same because whenever i get vortex through i love the physical copy i'll have a skim through the pdf every month mm. but i wait to have a good proper read when i get my physical copies and it's just ah lovely solid real work it's, yeah it's so good there's there's some stories of mine that i really wish would be I, i'm waiting for the inevitable blow up of jake dublin's career so I could turn around to Jason and go, look, could we just put Regeneration Impossible on vinyl? We could put something else on the other side, but I just, that cover in that size would be so cool. Uh, yes. But yes, yeah, they're great fun. And I know people really like getting the vinyls and, you know, we've got them for the you know, the Davids and the, the Chris stories. And yeah, they're really great. I, I kind of wish we did, we did more of them, really. Fingers crossed. So all in all, when you listen back to it, quite happy with it i think it's i think it's great i've i've been listening to it quite a lot actually recently just ahead of our chat and just been plonking it on because it's a good story for to walk to actually oh bless you um yes echoes of extinction as an overall is i think probably the big finished project that i'm most proud of out of all of them for as i probably hinted at throughout this thing it had a very troubled production which we won't go into here but you know at every stage if it could go wrong it did go wrong and everyone working on it pulled it together really well. And so we finally managed to, you know, pull this thing out. I'm aware that it's not everyone's favorite. I know some people really love it, which is great. Yeah, like yourself, which I really appreciate. I know some people really don't like it. Fair enough. I know a lot of people go, yeah, it's pretty good. And, you know, I'm, you've got to kind of, uh, reactions to reviews is a subject for another time. But, you know, the fact that this thing even exists at all, there was a, a real possibility of, uh, at one stage, not just the vinyl, but the whole big finish time or victorious line not being able to, to happen at all. So the fact that it exists at all and everyone really pulled together to make it this actual thing with a stunning cast is is great. The eighth side, Doctor side, is definitely my favourite side of the two. Yeah, it's got a couple of my favourite lines so far, and I really like the mystery. Yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm but what it is and how it what it had to do, it, I think it does it really well. So I'm I'm pleased with it. Yeah, but you know, if some people if, if someone came up to me and went, I didn't like it, I'm like. Okay, I understand, but that will not alter the fact that we, you know, a lot of people did a lot of really great work to make this thing come together, and for that I'm eternally grateful. Yeah, bloody pandemic. Yes, that really did. Um, the early bits of Time War Victorious were recorded at the same time as Tom Baker doing Shadow of the Sun, so we were one of the first COVID recordings uh, happening. And Paul McGann was, I think, one of the. We had a couple of studio days. We had a single. Sorry, we had a single studio day before it all went lockdown on he kills me he kills me not so we got silas and a couple of other people and then we had to do paul but we had to do paul from home so his entire flock was recorded at the same time so echoes was echoes eighth doctor side was recorded much earlier on than the tenth doctor side but also paul was recorded before the guest cast and it was all yes it was all a mad one um, the phrase is wibbly yes. wobbly timey wimey oh yes oh I'd, I'd take a temporal paradox. I'd <laughs> chuck me a bow tie and I'll go and sort that. That would have been, yeah. 
oh man stuff but you know I'm, I'm you know it's always fun to write Doctor Who it's always fun to write a new Doctor there's a certain sort of romantic charm to the eighth Doctor that's really fun to do and yeah it, it was it was a really fun and really privileged thing to do so I'm, I'm very grateful that I got the chance thanks Ralphie for his time in chatting to you Kenny because again I was working and missed him which is so frustrating Ugh. but the show must go on so anyway, Kenny and Matt, what did you think of the guest cast, which had some really big names cast by the di- director, Scott Hancock? There's some familiar names from Doctor Who and Torchwood on TV in there. And they're playing parts that are so different from who we know them from, too. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul Clayton's just wonderful. You could listen to him read the phone book. You, re- you really could. He's got such a fantastic voice for audio and it. it absolutely is my favorite audio invention for the torchwood range yeah. burn gorman you just wouldn't know it was him until you read his name on the sort of uh, on, the, on the credits um he's amazing as network and then you've got arthur dalville obviously is um popping up there as well so what, what an incredible cast yeah and the one that really impressed me was catherine drysdale as she just gives such a great performance as jasmine in fact that we think she's all sweet and innocent, almost like a little princess. Yeah. And then we find out that actually she's responsible for something really, really dark. And that's yeah. why she's on the space station and been removed from the planet. So yeah, it's a great performance from her as well. It, it's, it's, it's brilliantly cast. I think it was, I think I'm right in saying it's recorded um, around lockdown time. So must have been really um, challenging to just logistically to make that happen and to get such a fantastic cast together, I guess is one of the few benefits of lockdown is is that ability to maybe get really busy actors at a point where they're not quite as busy and be and able to bring them all together to create such a fantastic audio. So yes, your final thoughts is it's a damn good story, isn't it? It's a really it's so much it's a very dense piece of work, an awful lot in the 29 and a half minutes. It is. It is brilliant. It's so... I don't know... There you go. It's very much a TARDIS story. It's compact, it's small, it's short, but at the same time, it feels like it's a long... Not drawn out, but it's a long, well-calculated, well-described, well-acted masterpiece in its own right. Yes, basically what you're saying is it, there's a lot of depth to it and it's bigger in the inside. Exactly, so it's a TARDIS. It's perfect. Oh. I like that. I'm going to use that in future. Hopes they'll pay your copyright <laughs> on it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You'll just have to put copyright Rebecca Chapman <laughs> after shall, every time you say it. I will do. <laughs> <laughs> and one final thought is that at the end, when the Doctor goes off in the TARDIS, he's got Jasmine with him. So that's the second two pints of lager and a packet of crisps regular to go off in the TARDIS with McGann. So we got Louise there. We've already had Sheridan playing Janet. So it just means there's just Natalie Casey to go then. So, and Ralph Little. Oh, yeah, of course. I was just going with the girls there in that case. So it's the two pints girls as the traditional companion. <laughs> then again, Will Meller would be a very interesting companion. I've, I've suggested him for the Doctor before, actually, so... I think he could play the descendant of Thomas Brewster. (laughs) Yes, that would absolutely work. That would totally work. So there we go. 
that's us. We're up and running with Time Lord Victorious. And our next stop on the journey is He Kills Me, He Kills Me Not. And the trailer for that sounds a bit like this. From Big Finish Productions. If you allow me to end her life, then we could stop all this excessive exertion. I wouldn't need to run. You wouldn't need to run. And she wouldn't need to breathe. Doesn't that sound nice? Doctor Who, Time Lord Victorious. He kills me, he kills me not. Days since last mortality, 2023. You must be disappointed that the number is so high. It's called Brian. Brian? What kind of name for an assassin is Brian? Two planets away from Athana is... No, don't tell me, don't tell me. I know this. It is... Genophil. No, Hawkesilek. What happened to Genophil? Never heard of it. Uh, oh, this is vexing. It's not about the statue. It's what it represents. Or rather, what its absence represents. When something as steadfast, solid and fixed in time as the statue of Kithal just disappears, there must be something very wrong with time itself. Big Finish. We love stories. Becca, would you kindly tell us the synopsis of the story, please? Oh, but of course. On the desert world of Athana, the Doctor's life is about to be changed forever. Looking to visit one of the 700 wonders of the universe, he's quickly embroiled in a web of deceit. Worse than that, this wonder of the universe is missing, and the Doctor is about to encounter one of his most dangerous and duplicitous adversaries well done the doctor is a <laughs> it was a tough word kenny <laughs> the doctor is about to meet brian brian the ood i love brian the ood matt isn't he just a fantastic creation he absolutely is uh, i think the ood are obviously one of the new class new series classic monsters and I think Brian's just such a great twist because that he still has that slightly servile air to him. He's sort of dressed like a an, a butler, and he's very polite and well spoken, but he's also um, a psychopathic killer, which is <laughs> which is just such a great twist. And um, no, no spoilers for anyone who um, goes to to sort of play the Time Lord Victorious Time Fracture escape room should look out for him um as well oh i've not been to that yet interesting i like the sound of that because i just think silas carson an amazing voice because i think the first time i heard him would have been in star wars the phantom menace and he's got such a distinctive classy sound to his voice it's just and you, i recognized as soon as i heard the ood voice without looking at the credits and just thought yep <laughs> that's that guy again and he just brings such and just, there's an underlying menace to him, particularly in those scenes where he's pretending that he's he's being all lovely and kind and being all with a being all servile when, the, yeah. when he first meets the doctor and and the others. And it's just it's a great performance. I, it, for me, it's almost it's almost like the the third uh, classic Doctor New Monster story for for McGann. Maybe, maybe really the second if you discount the Sontarans. <laughs> But um, I, I really like that first time of um, of McGann meeting a monster from the from the new series as well, because he is the the Doctor that bridges um, the classic and the new. So I really like it when 
the, the, the sort of new stuff leaks into the era. Yeah, I mean, there's some lovely wee touches throughout the story. I mean, there's subtle things like the heat shield that the Doctor's handed and to sort of keep off the heat from the sunshine, which yeah. comes back later on, which I only really noticed, actually, properly noticed when I gave it a re-listen this week, just as the build-up to this. And that, of course it is. And, and it's just these wee things that that just combine so nicely just to, to make it a more complete story. So I have a question for you. Where do you think this happens in the Eighth Doctor's big finish life. I'm, I'm guessing it happened sometime after Stranded and sometime not very long perhaps before the um, sort of River Song box set Rulers of the Universe episode um, when the Time War was well and truly started. But he's still, he's still very much in that sort of space where he's carefree, he's looking for fun in the universe. There's no actual mention of the Time War um, He's, the, the Daleks clearly aren't yet fighting it, so I'm kind of I'm kind of guessing that it's it's his sort of um, the long afternoon of his um, of his life before the night of the Doctor starts to fall. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I was you know I was funnily enough I was thinking that myself when I was listening to it earlier, and obviously the cover indicates again as you said earlier night of the Doctor outfit, but given that his companions have all gone, I'd assume that he's something has happened and he's got that sort of that joie de vivre of the of his earlier travels with lucy and charlie is back and obviously he's he may have parted company and hopefully in a good way with his companions and he's sort of just got a bit because i think he's been with particularly with stranded of late he's been far more serious um, mm. particularly with the with the tardis being out of action and not quite fully functional and he's not quite been as bouncy as he has been. So I'm hoping that something joyous happens to him and uh, he's given a nice wee boost and he's back to that lovely, happy, bouncy McGann of the of the earliest audios. That's, that's at least in my head. So yes, my head can in yours are matching up there. So that's a good sign. Very good sign. I mean, I think it's an interesting setting as well in the fact that we get to hear little things that time is wrong when the doctor's going looking for a statue and we learned that the, instead of being a water world that it's become all dry and desert like and think that's interesting so we, there's sort of that's the sort of hints of time lord mm. victorious that something is out of joint time is out of joint very much so it shows that there's a bigger picture here beyond what's happening in this one story what do you think Matt? yeah i it's um i think it, it could almost work as a sort of standalone. I think it's really suited actually to the Eighth Doctor because although Westerns aren't necessarily Doctor Who's strong point, it's not always been at its best when it's done episodes set on planets or in the actual Wild West. I guess the Eighth Doctor starts off life wearing a Wild Bill Hickok costume. So it is very much his his sort of milieu, isn't it? So it's nice to actually see him in that space. And I think very slowly and very gently, as you say, it starts to become clear that things are, are not quite what they appear to be and something is going badly wrong, which by the end of the by the end of the story I think is is very much more clear. Yeah. And we do get that moral dilemma that, that the other doctor faces and so who do you treat the person who's even if it is the criminal who's most injured, do you treat them first or do you go for the lawman? And there's quite a nice wee it's a free song there between some of the guest characters. 
yeah i think um i, I really enjoyed this one i think the, the first the first listen i think i had a natural knee jerk that oh no doctor in the wild west these these don't work very well very often the second time i listened to it i i was sold on the sort of central love story and the the um assassination plot and all of those different elements coming together and as you say the moral dilemma i i found all of it really quite gripping yeah and the thing that i noticed and it was only i think it was only really in my second listen that it sort of struck me that we've got and it's in a very 21st century doctor who and the fact there's a a same-sex relationship and the couple who the, the women are married and it was only really in second listen that that struck me and thought oh hang on a minute because mm. i just taken it as it is and it's just like it, i wasn't you know it's not a it's just a it might as even if it'd been a man and a woman married so what it was just the same and it just it did, there was yeah. no the fact there's no fuss made about it whatsoever just very russell t and it's just it just so happens that that's the way it is and i and i'm i'm just sort of think that just shows you how things are hopefully improving that people just will listen to it and think nothing of it and it's only later yeah. that, oh hang on a minute and which yeah. again big finish tapping into 21st century doctor who sensibilities and 21st century life sensibilities thankfully yeah no i absolutely agree and i um i can't add anything to what you've just said i i feel exactly the same way becca what were your thoughts Firstly, Kenny Smith, you are an old romantic. Aww. I think that the <laughs> I think that the same-sex marriage couple is fantastic. It's done in a very natural way, whereas we struggle a lot with representation of same-sex couples in that it always seems to be kind of like, oh look, they're lesbians, or oh look, they're gay men in a relationship, and it's awful, and it shouldn't be like that. So the fact that it's just, oh yeah they're in a relationship they're married and what is fantastic and i really appreciate that as a member of the uh Lugubita. <laughs> <laughs> or as i heard it described the other day the alphabet mafia that is amazing i've never heard that before alphabet mafia that's very yeah. very good with a plus at the end of course oh yes the Lugubita. <laughs> Well done. Well done. And how did you find the story? Did you enjoy it? I think Brian is absolutely, he's one of the greatest Doctor Who characters of recent times. Oh, he is. I mean, like, ah, you know, it's an Ood. An Ood's not going to do anything bad. But it's Brian. <laughs> yeah. You know, and... it's it's fantastic. It's so well done. It's a bit like with Stephen King's Cujo, where instead of it being, like, an obvious choice like he doesn't choose like a doberman or a rottweiler although we all know that these are perfectly lovely dogs they have been kind of hounded in the media as devil dogs so the fact that stephen king uses a saint bernard in the story about a terrifying dog is fantastic and i think that's a very similar thing to what they've done with the ood no one's going to expect the ood to be a murderer no people think of the ood as being good Exactly, the good ood. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Brian. Yes, now there's Brian. Mr. Ball, of course. Can't forget Mr. Ball. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, a really strong start and just a very powerful sort of central love story, which made it stand out for me quite apart from the, the norm for Big Finish. Um, let alone for the rest of the time of the victorious range. Yeah, absolute winner. Perfect. 
And now we move on to its immediate sequel. As we do end, he kills me, he kills me not on a cliffhanger. As the Daleks appear right at the end, spoiler alert, dragging the Doctor out of time and separating him from Brian. Poor Brian! Ryan? Brian! Poor Brian! <laughs> Our next stop is The Enemy of My Enemy by Tracy Ann Baines. And here's the trailer for that. From Big Finish Productions. Greetings, citizens of Rex. We are the Daleks. We come in peace. Doctor Who, Time Lord Victorious, the enemy of my enemy. You will be exterminated! Not until the Doctor has given us what we need. And what is that? Your help. What exactly do Daleks fear? That the changes will spread? That Skara will no longer birth your race? That you will cease to exist? And what do you observe, Doctor? Well, you know pretty much everything. I have a particular interest in new cultures and societies. The Raxians are an ancient civilization. So I gather. But you are new to me, and that's very exciting. We are one. I think I know what the Devolver does. You can't do this. You can't! The Daleks, the Raxians, and the Time Lords. All their lives are now entwined. And I can end them all in an instant. Big Finish. We love stories. Miss Chapman, would you do us the honours of giving us the synopsis, please? Of course. The people of Rax... Oh, hang on a minute, I need to get my voice in. The people of Rax are happy to begin peaceful negotiations with the Dalek Empire. The two species are preparing to engage in an alliance that will last throughout the ages. The only one who seems to object to this happy union is the Doctor. He knows that you can never trust the Daleks. But more than that, he knows that the Raxians should never have existed. Kenny, what did you think of it? Now, this is a damn good story. I think it's... It definitely ups the stakes. The fact we've got something rather different with Daleks involved. And again, we've seen the, the whole effect of time changing happening around us with a race that should have been dead or never been and developing super weapons, which even the Daleks are kind of scared of. So that's really quite a hook to have something that the Daleks want because they haven't developed that. How did you find it, Matt? Uh, I thought it was, it was strong. I thought... It was a great opportunity to bring back Nick Briggs um, as a sort of strategist Dalek. So doing his very sly, um, clever, seductive Dalek voice, which always works well, I think. And it, I think it really ups the ante, um, which is what you really need in the second part of a trilogy. So it sort of twists away from the quite personal love story of... Um, he kills me, he kills me not, into a much more epic uh, war story. But we, again, like uh, he kills me, he kills me not, with a really clear moral dilemma at its heart. Absolutely. I think the fact you've got the the devolving weapon as well, and as mm. of course if we've heard from the the short trips that the Masters after the Devolver, which has been developed by the Kuturu, and which is such a great name as well, because you would never look, you look at it and you're like, how would you pronounce that? Kotara? Kotara? And yeah, it's such an alien sounding name as well. Yes. 
So, Matt, what did you think of the Kotura? Um, they're such an alien um, sort of creation and a species when you when you start reading about them and just their strange way of moving and the way that nature seems to recoil from them. I think it's that they're a really powerful creation. I think for me, the enemy of my enemy kind of for me evokes like one of those classic 60s Dalek stories or maybe a Dalek Empire story. It's very much the Daleks having to be cunning and manipulative and form alliances with um, another race. And it's very much about them trying to sort of raise the stakes and see who can double cross who most effectively so it really for me felt like a bit of a throwback in a good way to those early big finishes that that were pulling on the the sort of classic terry nation 1960s dalek episodes and really maxing out on how um creepy the daleks can be yeah and i think the fact that the raxians have got that threat they've got this weapon that all they need is a genetic sample and that can be your race snapped out just like that. And the fact that the Doctor is the first one to be threatened with it and then latterly the Daleks and then, of course, they, they have their peace accord and we're going to leave you alone, off we go. And of course, never trust the Dalek because there's still somebody behind. And it's still such a visual thing that ends when they're talking about the Eye of Rax at the end. You can sort of picture it almost opening up. A bit. I've pictured it a bit like Sutek's the eye of Horus and Sutek being contained by that mm. sort of as if that was contained and then metallic bits opening out and I saw it something like that and it is just a horrifying concept and ugh, I just it's one of those ones that make you think that really would be the ultimate weapon to have absolutely and I kind of I said it feels a bit like a throwback to the Dalek Empire place it also feels a little bit like um one of the stronger time war plays because it, it really does mean that, you know the Daleks are, are desperately searching for uh, advantage they're desperately looking to get hold of of these really terrible sort of weapons that have powers that you, you can only sort of imagine and the horror of those weapons is the kind of thing that you know on tv you can do you can do these dark hints like you know the nightmare child and the, the horde of travesties and things like that but it's really hard to actually expand on what that might mean in practice and i think this does that re- really pretty well um, it's not just a big gun yeah a big gun can be boring the fact that there's a little <laughs> bit more to it as well and the fact that just by sitting in a chair the doctor could have wiped out the time lords when they extracted his dna for the weapon i mean you mentioned the time strategist but let's have a quick chat about the dalek time squad becca who's your favorite <sighs> i <laughs> i i couldn't name them well there's um, the strategists there's the executioner there's the time commander uh, they're the big three and um, i think the strategist is so creepy with that creepy creepy voice yes i think i'd probably choose the executioner because <laughs> Of course. <laughs> just, you know, to be the dark one there. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he's walking, basically he'll just kill anything, but he's having to be pretty much held on a leash all the time and all he wants to do is yes. go around and exterminate everybody. Yes. Yeah. He Don't is like a, uh, in reference to our Stephen King Cujo earlier, he is a St. Bernard on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> With I rabies. mean, Matt, exactly. 
the members of the Time Squad are all pretty well defined with their own characteristics. Do you have a favourite? Ooh, the Time Commander. That's it. I, I love the sort of um, the sort of relationship between the strategist and the Time Commander, and I, I, I love when Daleks have a bit of one-upmanship going on among their own ranks as well, because they're not the Cybermen, and I kind of I always like it when the Daleks aren't the Cybermen and they're just aren't just these sort of emotionless um, drones, but they actually have their own little personalities and their own little motivations um, and power struggles within the, the ranks, because they are space Nazis and the Nazis were, you know, always struggling for who, who was going to come out top dog in their own ranks, just as they were being horrible to everyone else in the entire world. I, I think that it was a really good combo and I quite, quite like the fact they've got the executioner who's determined just to kill everybody that's just his sole raison d'etre and uh, you just know that you could almost picture him being you know if there's a room full of Daleks and it just being sort of edging backwards and forwards because it's just yeah. so eager to go forwards and kill and it's just such an, a lovely notion to a Dalek that's like that it just it doesn't want to chat it just wants to kill no you imagine that it just dreams of having a casing like the special weapons Dalek yes how cool would a special weapons Dalek be in like the 21st century bronze colour scheme that's oh yeah so cool yeah, it's not just... Just so Daleks. cool. That's what they should have had in... E I mean, I, I enjoyed Eve of the Daleks, but like, it would have been raised to 11 with um, like special weapons Daleks instead of Daleks with two guns. Becca, any final thoughts on this one? Yes. I mean, it's very much an Eighth Doctor story. It's very early Eighth Doctor with the whole, oh, yes, I'm a Doctor. It's nice to see you. Look how cool I am. I look like Jesus as I have come back from having no memories. Um... <laughs> But I like that, and I think that's great, and I think we need more of that. Definitely, definitely a bit of a change. And Matt, I think it's it builds up to such a, an exciting conclusion, the fact that we've got we've got the, this Dalek ship, they need to go back through time, the Doctor's in an alliance with them, and the TARDIS is wired up to the Dalek ship, and off we go. I, I thought it finished really really well and again as i say it's a great middle episode of a trilogy so i think a middle episode of a trilogy has to up the ante and it has to finish on a amazing cliffhanger that gets you really excited for what the the final installment's going to be although interestingly the next installment of tlv is not the final mcgann audio so Yes, but I think it works. I think it works bizarrely either as a lead into the book or a lead into the final audio. Yeah, I think it's it's very cleverly done. When they've obviously when they've been planning it all out, it's it's worked it's worked out quite well. But yes, I I enjoyed it too. So yes, yeah, so that's all the Time Lord Victorious we're going to chat about in this week's episode. But let's just take a wee sidestep because we do have another guest to drop in and join us. We're going to chat with Ewan Morris about the music for Time Lord Victorious. Ah, and guess what, everyone? Kenny spoke to him when I was, you guessed it, working. Oh, the things we do. The things we do. <laughs> but before we chat with Ewan, Matt, it's a very distinctive sound, isn't it? It's got that Time Lord Victorious theme that keeps recurring across the stories. Yeah, and I think I, I'm a huge fan of Sort of all of the big finish sound design because I have no musical ability whatsoever. So, anyone who can create 
little motifs and themes like that always has my utmost respect because I just don't know how they do it. No, nor I. So let's hear from Yohan now. Hi, my name is Yohan Morris. I'm a composer for Big Finish as well as other stuff. And uh, I was the composer on the Time Lord Victoria series featuring the Eighth Doctor. Welcome to Pieces of Eight, Yohan. It's lovely to say hello. And also, I'm sure that there will be a few people out there who've seen your name written down but had no idea how to pronounce it. Oh, yeah, I do get... Yeah, it's been a, a challenge, a lifelong challenge. It's always a pleasant surprise, actually, when, you know, someone you've never met before gets it right first time. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, yeah, it's about 50-50 at best. Yeah. So, yeah, Johan or Johan, whichever you prefer. <laughs> but not Johan or Ian, as I'm sure that some no, people think no, it's No, it's Ian. just, you know, it's a similar origin. It's the Welsh version of John. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot more boring, I think, when I explain it. Like <laughs> more mysterious and, and interesting. Well, yeah. talking of mysterious and interesting, Time Lord Victorious, that must have been quite a fascinating project to get involved with when you first heard about it. It was, yeah. I remember Scott Hancock mentioned it to me, uh, I would say about March 2020. And i got to say, thank you to Scott, always but especially last year he was very keen that I had work to do because you know we all remember what it was like and so he assured me you know in March that this thing is coming up you will be doing the music on it and that you know that helped a lot at that time when things were going the way they were going uh so that's when I first heard about it March 2020 the first episode I did well, the first part of it was the Echoes of Extinction story, yep. which was released on vinyl, and that was about June. So didn't know quite what was happening with it in the meantime. I think there were a lot of disparate plans coming together between March and June, you know, which doctor was going to be involved, that kind of thing. So as usual, I just wait until the file drops in my inbox and I get to work. It must have been really quite exciting getting a whole project like that to work on just for yourself to be able to create that music soundscape that would be running across the releases. Yeah, I mean, I've done Big Finish work now for about five or six years and I haven't actually done that much Doctor Who, which is weird. I've done a lot of Doctor Who adjacent stuff. You know, I've done Gallifrey, I've done The War Master... I did do one main range release, but that was just, that's it. And I did the seventh Doctor New Adventures set with Sylvester McCoy, but that's about it. It's only like two Doctor Who sets before. So my attitude going into Time Lord Victorious was, how would I compose for Doctor Who? Not necessarily trying to fit into a certain era uh, or recreate sounds, but how would I approach it? So that's the mindset I went in with. So yeah, from that point of view, yeah, very exciting to get to work on something that I felt was Doctor Who music that was mine in a way. You know, there's parameters that are set about the type of thing you want for Doctor Who. But within that, there's quite a lot of scope. Did you have ideas in mind in terms of things like developing themes for characters? It's always a bit of a punt when it comes to developing themes, to be honest, because I prefer to go in without too much foreknowledge of where everything's going. And with something like Time Lord Victorious, obviously there were lots of different components to it. 
and I wasn't privy to all of those. I'm just working on my little area of it. So I did try, and this is something I, I do with a lot of work that I do for Big Finish, is I tried to get themes or cues prepared just for the mood or maybe one that I can attach to a character or a certain situation. Don't always use them, but it's just an exercise to try and get myself in the headspace for composing for those different series. So in this case, with Echoes of Extinction, I did try and build some themes into it, not necessarily knowing where they'd go when I got the rest of the episodes. So it's a bit of a punt in that regard, but I think I made it work. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I did, at least. I think so. I think uh, with Echoes is fantastic release, particularly with the, I think the, the score in that is lovely. Just, there's, it's just that, there's almost that persistent threat throughout it, I think. That's the way that I felt. There was a, a constant underlying menace to it all. Yeah, the the one theme I can really remember making for it is there's a kind of, I don't know what I describe it as, but I'm thinking of it as the sort of Time Lord Victorious theme, which is just this fairly ambient kind of piece, which has these reverse guitars and strings coming in, sort of call and response. And that's kind of what I imagined being the theme that I would use for the entire series. It's hard to explain why, you know, there wasn't uh, attached to any particular character or anything like that. It was just a motif that I could return to that felt like it tied everything together. There are definitely other cues I used across the different episodes. And that's a bit of a, it's not really a cheat, it's a technique. Let's call it a technique for bringing everything together, making it feel like a whole so I don't know where I'm really going with this but yeah <laughs> that's what I tried to do it anyway there was also the element with Echoes of Extinction where you had the two doctors and each of them had half of a story on either side of the vinyl which was an exciting prospect I've never worked on a project like that before and again trying to make these musical ideas fit within that structure but not to do it in any kind of obvious or way that draws attention to itself just a feeling that these two things are attached that was an interesting uh, aspect to work on on that story and of course you got to score for the good old mark three travel machines that must have been good fun as well oh yeah daleks daleks i have done before with Warmaster and Gallifrey I think so I had done them before I felt like I'd done them a lot to be honest and I'm not sure why because I had like I said I hadn't done the full fat Doctor Who really Daleks are, are difficult to score for I'll say that they they require you to do a lot of heavy lifting around them because on audio in particular you've got the voices which are brilliant and effective and you've got the sound effects, which, you know, from the new series onwards are more distinctive and present. But still, you know, metallic beings talking to one another and you need something under that. Not persistently, but you do need something there. And so it's always a bit of a challenge to come up with something new. Of course, Murray Gold did the choral thing. so you feel like that was so well done that that's like something to look to every time. You can't just rip off Murray Gold, much as you'd like to. 
So it's about you finding something that feels right, that can occupy the space, but just isn't drawing attention at all times. So yeah, they're quite a challenge as a composer to deal with. You know, in their way, say, I feel like I'm the same as the doctor in my own way. He, he's, he's fighting for his life and I'm, you know, trying to get my stuff in before deadline. It's basically <laughs> the same. Basically the same. So when you look back on the whole project now, is it one that you're quite proud of, given the fact you've got a vinyl that of, with your own work that you can... Yeah, uh, I have got that, and I've got that in a frame up on the wall. I, I, I That's the first vinyl uh, record I've got of my work. as my name on it, which is very nice. Can't imagine having another one anytime soon. So, yeah, it's right there above my work desk. That's lovely to have that. And that was the curious thing about Echo's Extinction, is that it was done in June, before everything else, a couple of months before everything else. And of course there were delays. It was due to come out after everything else anyway. I think it was about November, December, 2020 was due to come out initially. And then it ends up coming out months later. So you've got a strange Doctor Who thing of working on something first and it coming out long after everything else you've done. So yeah, I do look back on it fondly. I think it was, it was a good project, especially like that second episode of the trilogy with Paul McGann. I think that was really strong stuff. And that's kind of a mode of Doctor Who I think it'd be nice to return to. It felt distinct from other Eighth Doctor eras. I think there's probably enough scope within Time Lord Victorious if they wanted to do more of it, or just more of that mode of the Eighth Doctor audios. I think, I think it's got room for more. The big question is, of course, which side up have you got facing out above your workstation? Let me check. Hang on a second. <laughs> well, it's not going to go down well with your listeners, but at the moment, <laughs> it's, uh, at the moment, it's David Tennant. You know, he's at least a fellow Scot. So that's true. Yeah. I was about to say I've not got any problem with there with with that whatsoever. <laughs> I should switch questions. them. I should for for the new year that that'll be the one resolution I have. Is just switch the the cover of that vinyl record over. Yeah, it looks like you've yeah. got two then. Yeah. Uh, I don't because they're not available. I only have the one. And I think we had to fight to have contributor copies on the vinyl record, actually. But Scott, very thankful to say, did get them. Yeah, this is a great project. Always fun to work with Scott and Alfie, who is uh, the producer on that range. I think he's uh, he's got some really good, fresh, interesting stuff coming out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see how he progresses within the world of Doctor Who. Absolutely. Johan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks very much to Johan for his time recently. It was an absolute pleasure. And we should, of course, mention that the sound design was done by Peter Doggart, who did a great job as well across these stories. So that's us for part one of our look back at the Eighth Doctor's involvement with Time Lord Victorious. We'll be back next week with some more of the same, but completely different, if that makes sense. And until then, I've been Kenny Smith. I've been Rebecca Chapman. And I've been Matt Michael. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.